Hey y'all, Sydney here. This is our formal trigger warning. In this episode of the Cage Bird Chronicles podcast, we will be discussing mental health, violence, depression, anxiety, suicide, and more. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Cage Bird Chronicles Season 3. As usual, y'all know the drill. All who are willing to listen are welcome. This week, we are diving back into the topic of mental health. However, on this episode, we will be discussing the victimization of Black people and other POC with mental health disorders. Once again, lovelies, my name is Sydney. And I am Dana. And I'm Shelby. Before we get started, we would like to officially... Welcome our newest CBC cast members. For the first time as CBC royalty, please introduce yourselves. What's going on, everybody? It is, my name is Jesus. I am a Black Puerto Rican that is like 200 some odd pounds, probably 250. And uh, I like eating. So what's up? What's up, everyone? My name is Chanel. I'm a non-binary Black person based out of Oakland, California. Hey there, my name is Darlisha. I am Black based out of the eastern side of the world because I have not decided what state I want to claim yet. Hey guys, it's Charlie. I'm, hey, like I said before, I'm just a single mama trying to make it. All right, well, welcome, 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 everybody. We're so happy to have you here. Well, then, as you were saying, <clears throat> I think that's what causes us to stop necessarily going to the doctor up to and including mental health professionals, because we get sick and tired of our pain ge- being ignored. We get sick and tired of whatever we're going through being treated as it's not as significant as we feel it is in our life it makes us feel like, well, why am I going back? Uh, going off of that, you could also make the very awesome argument that the whole reason why a lot of people of color, Black people of color in general, don't go and see mental health professionals is almost like a subsect of the, of. All right. So today, this is a heavy topic. I feel like even if though we try to like make these lighter, they always end up heavy. So we're going to try y'all today. We're going to talk about mental illness And while we are undoubtedly in an era where mental illness is not as much of a stigma, I think the fact still remains that there are still people that take advantage of those diagnosed or even suspected of having a mental disorder. And further, there's a social and a legal system that enables the behavior, which effectively ostracizes and victimizes a vulnerable part of the population, which is self-explanatory as to why it's important for us to talk about this. We're going to go ahead and dive in to examining the victimization of people with mental health conditions. So when we're talking about people of color, specifically Black people with mental health conditions, we do also have to talk about the stigma around mental health, particularly around Um, the Black community or the community of color. Um, And it is not necessarily an unearned stigma as far as how people of color feel about pursuing mental health. In general, uh, people of color have a tendency not to pursue uh, mental health care or not to consider mental health care a part of overall health care. And even when pursuing mental health care, people of color, particularly Black and Indigenous folks, are significantly less likely to actually receive the care that they need. Um, And they're less likely to receive, even if they do bring up um, mental health complaints to their primary care physician, which they more than often typically, I say they like I'm not one of them, they, we more than often typically do. Um, Primary care physicians are actually significantly less likely to pursue health or mental health care uh, treatment with people of color. 
um, which is funny because they typically actually bring more mental health complaints to their primary care physicians than our white counterparts. They, being we, um, bring up more mental health complaints to our primary health care physicians, but receive the least amount of actual mental health care, um, which speaks to that, you know, vulnerable part of the population that is just either not being handled at all or being taken advantage of, as we are often also when mental health care is pursued, misdiagnosed, over-medicated, or medicated with the wrong um, with the wrong medicines that don't actually treat the condition that we have as a sort of catch-all for, you know, you're being treated for something um, as far as mental health care is concerned. And I mean, mental health care is still a relatively new um, medicine, as in we don't know a lot about mental health. You know, up 50 years ago, we thought that lobotomies were the cure to, to everything. So at this point, mental health care is still a relatively new medicine, but even in this relatively new medicine, we are still being treated poorly or not at all when we pursue that healthcare. Big facts. Big facts. <clears throat> How women in general, especially black women, don't get their pain or don't get their the right healthcare when they go to regular primary care physicians anyways. This can definitely be seen as a kind of offshoot of, of that. And more importantly, you also we also have to take into, into consideration that as a people, we generally don't get, don't have a lot of trust in a lot of these government-run systems. I mean, you can look at the Tuskegee syphilis experiment from over during World War II timeframe, where we were basically taken advantage of, especially uh, on the uh, on the military side of things in terms of like mental health and health in general. I know, as I know, as someone who has been through therapy. Um, they don't give you anyone, especially as, as brown people, to relate to as well. I know the first therapist I had was an at least 60-year-old white guy. And I'm like, you don't, you don't know nothing <laughs> what I'm going through. So they they also they don't consider you enough to even put someone, match you with someone who is relatable in the sense of. I got like I understand what you're going through. They don't even give you that, so there's no regard in 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 really how you feel or how how you get it out at all, or, or, or any type of release. Yeah, uh, no representation of people of color, specifically Black people in mental health care, is sadly lacking. Like there's been a lot of efforts recently to try to change that, which is awesome. Um, but unfortunately, you're absolutely correct. There are not a lot of us in mental health care. Then um, that is, you know, partially systematic, and that is also partially related to the stigma that mental health health care faces within the Black community. Um, seeing as you know, we have a tendency, and I mean, we, you know, the royal we, as in people of color, have a tendency to see therapy or mental health care as something that you seek out in an emergency. Like you got to be crazy to pursue mental health care, which is how you lead to like, or how, how you get to degraded um, mental states. You know, you let yourself get to the point where you have to actually snap before pursuing any kind of mental health care. You've let yourself get to a breakdown before deciding that you have a problem. And that's part of the problem. You create bigger problems and you're more likely to, you know, create um, situations of conflict if you if you allow yourself to get to that point rather than pursuing the care when you you know feel the symptoms or pursuing the care when you have the opportunity and we recognize you know the cage for chronicles recognizes that the ability to pursue mental health care is a privilege that some people just do not have we know that the problem and what we're discussing specifically is those who do have access to this care and still choose not to get it due to the stigma that is as jesus covered not unearned um, of medical professionals in this country. Uh, we don't trust not nobody. It's not an unearned distrust, but it's a distrust nonetheless that leads to bigger problems further on down the line as I'm sure we're getting ready to discuss. Okay, well, um, Charlie, you took this exactly where I wanted to go. One of the things I was gonna say that the lack of representation makes us have the desire to stay away. One of those reasons being because 
they don't have any of the experience. So they can physically see what we go through. They can intellectually understand what we go through, but they realistically have no emotional understanding of what we are going through. But also I think that all of our system and feel free to chime in how um, any of you all feel. Our system is based on how white people would treat mental illness. It is not based individually on how we would handle a situation. Our cultures would handle a situation. So the, uh, the treatments that were being given by other cultures are 100% opinionated as to how their culture would handle something, which makes us feel like we are not getting the type of care that we need anyways, because that's not how we would handle a situation. And so we feel like we would most identify with somebody who would react to this the way that we would react to this. We don't all have the same reaction. I don't react to what things that happen to me the same way a white person reacts. And as we've said on several other, several other occasions and in several episodes, that we have generational trauma that has built up and impacted the way that we are reacting to, so, to, to these things that are impacting our lives. That's not necessarily the same exact reaction that they were bred with. I feel like I had the complete opposite experience because like we've been saying, like black people are very underdiagnosed um, for like numerous reasons, but I feel like I was overdiagnosed because I had regular schmegular regular postpartum depression. That's like the, that's what everybody gets. Like that's not thing special at all. And I went to the doctor and I was like, I think I have postpartum depression. And they were like, I think you're autistic. I'm not autistic. I'm, I'm not. And there's nothing against people that are autistic, but that's just something that I'm not. And then they were like, you know, I think you're having anxiety. My anxiety was very normal for somebody that had a new baby, but instead they're like, let me give you Xanax. And when we get, which is very heavy. And they're like, not only are we going to give you Xanax, we're going to give you enough Xanax so that if you wanted to hurt yourself, you could. They gave me a prescription for 130 Xanax all at once. So they had me on 130 Xanax all at once. And they said, take as needed, zero direction. It didn't say to exceed like four a day, like you're not to exceed nothing. They gave me that. They had me on Haldol which is one of the strongest antipsychotics. That's what they give to people that have like voices in their head, like schizophrenia. They had me on clonopin, which is another anti-anxiety. I mean, like literally I was taking, and I did a cold turkey detox, which I do not recommend, but I didn't know what else to do. I was taking close to nine pills a day as a new mother. And finally, when I was like, this isn't working, I'm seeing the world at a 45 degree angle every single time I open my eyes, like that's how tilted everything was. And I said, I don't want to take these meds anymore. They literally put me into the mental ward of a prison for four days, because they said I was aggressive and non-compliant. And I had just had a baby. So they like threw the book at me. And then while I'm in the, the, the prison, basically, I had to go before a judge and say like, I'm just a new mom. I'm in, I'm in Virginia, which is clearly the wrong state for me. Let me go back to California where I can get some help that I'm used to. Um, and I don't know what was up. I had a black woman judge and she tried to throw the book at me for 30 days. She was like, no, you're going to spend a month in here. And it took another doctor that was a person of color to just completely shut it down. And she, she was able to override what the judge said because she was a medical practitioner. And I was out within four days. But still, like my point is they really, they either don't diagnose or they overdiagnose and say that you have X, Y, and Z when you don't, because they just assume that we're crazier, that we don't know ourselves. And then look what happened. Like I could have, I could have died. Like I really could have. So I don't know, like it's, I feel like it swings both ways and there's never anywhere in the middle, unless you do have a black woman provider, like Shelby was talking about what the fuck that's okay who this legal system got me fucked up <clears throat> back to what I needed to say I had the exact opposite experience um 
but I'm also very guarded. So there's a lot of shit that was going on in my head that nobody knew because one, I'm introverted and two, uh, I'm not dumb. And I was like, y'all are not about to have me locked up nowhere. Okay. Not going to do it. Mind your business. Okay. Um, but I wanted to say for, like I said, the non-white or the non-people of color, uh, when I was accidentally interrupting Chanel, my bad boo, that I don't think it's necessarily that um, all white doctors don't care, but I can't right now off the top of my head think of where I saw this study, but white doctors are just bad at taking care of people of color and it's cultural they can't do it and this is the argument that a lot of people were having a couple years ago um with the fact that all white people are racist and people were getting offended and saying i'm not racist you're racist because you benefit off of a racist system you're part of it and you can't opt out of it so it's not like you're being vicious but you're incapable of the level of empathy and understanding and you lack sympathy because you're not black and the example that i wanted to give is that the second time that i did have like um that i was in the middle of a depressive episode my doctor was white and she looked at me like when she looked at my little survey and she was talking to me like she stopped and she stared at me like I scared her. But, and she said, you know, you should probably talk to somebody or take something. I'll give you the choice. I, you can either like take a medication home with you today, or um, I can give you a list of psychologists and psychiatrists and you can figure out what you want to do. And I was like, um, you can give it to me, but I'm not making any promises and I don't want your medication. And she was just like, she still looked at me like she was scared that something was going to happen, but she just let it go. Now, when I told my OBGYN that I was having problems and I couldn't sleep for two years, she looked at me and was like, okay, and why aren't you doing something about it? Like she didn't let go of it. And this is my OBGYN, not my, you know, my, my regular doctor. And I was straight up like, because I cannot find a black doctor. And she was like, cool, that makes sense statistically. You're not going to find one. It's super hard. It's less than 2% of um, the medical profession that are Black people in health. And even fewer of those are, are women. So it's an understandable frustration. She went and got me the list of people. Those two interactions are completely different. And it's because one doctor lacks the ability. And I'm not saying that some people would not be able to get past that. But the likelihood of coming across somebody who is going to put in that extra effort when they're already bogged down with other shit to do and trying to do their regular job is not a good, it's not a high likelihood that you're going to find somebody that's going to put in the extra effort and people suffer for it. Mostly black people. I've never had any kind of um, uh, official treatment per se, although I do know that I'm fucked in the head. Um, granted, this kind of goes with a, uh, a later point that we'll probably discuss when it comes to men's mental health, specifically men, men of color and what have you. But uh, I have my mom, bless her soul. She has her, uh, she's working on her, I think she just got her master's in, um, in counseling and psychotherapy over at Regent University, which unfortunately is Regent University, but you know what? At least she has a degree in counseling and psychotherapy. So that's really awesome. Um, but like it's interesting because my mom is puerto rican and black like darker than asphalt and what have you because obviously you know caribbean people literally literally came from africa also it's not just you know the indians and just the europeans that were over there through the spanish slave trade but um i say that to say that a lot of the issues that we see at least mental health wise in the black community and the, and the minority community in general a lot of it stems from again the untrust the the lack of trust that we have in centralized systems to be able to deal with our problems properly and the stigma that we put on ourselves in terms of 
what we should do when we do come across those problems. More often than not, there have been plenty of instances where I've thought, you know, I should probably go get help. And I'm sure Shelby, Dana, you've seen plenty of conversations where it's like, you know, it's like that meme you see on Facebook a lot of times where it's like that dog that's in a burning house, like, this is fine. Everything's fine. It's all good. It doesn't matter. We're, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll just, you know, sit on this until it becomes a dull ache and then just go on and press forward. Um, but a lot of it, to go a little bit into personal stuff, there was a lot of things that were going on back when I was in high school, uh, failed suicide attempt and what have you and stuff. But a lot of things that were going on that could have been avoided if I had gotten the right aid or even knew how to go about finding the right aid. It wasn't until years later that I even figured out, oh, I'm probably bipolar and probably mildly depressed or what have you. Obviously, I'm not a freaking mental health professional. I take that call with a grain of salt. But being that my mom is a psych, as a psychologist, I, I have a copy of the DSM-5 and the DSM-4 that you could, I can just somewhat self-diagnose, but it's, you know, a bad thing. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I say all that to say that one of the big things that I that have, I have found that have helped me with my mental health in particular is, one, finding multiple avenues of stress relief. Because as a man, we don't get a lot of avenues to even relieve our own mental health issues, just because we're always seen to be the rock, seen to be the foundation, seen to be have a lot of pressure put on us to be the ones that don't get emotional, that have to be, for lack of a better term, uh, unemotional. And when we're taught, we're taught that whenever we show emotion, it's a sign of weakness or it's a sign of, of there's something wrong with you because you're not supposed to be showing emotion when these things happen. You're supposed to handle that shit, AKA, you know, man up or man, I'm just tripping or man, it'd be like that sometimes. So I say all of that to say that it's okay as a man to be in touch with your emotions. It's also okay to know when to share those emotions. Obviously, being at work and you're just sitting there at your job, just having a mental breakdown, you're probably not going to get any work done. It's probably not best for you to be around people. You probably need to go and seek help at that point. Now, obviously, sometimes you just can't get that, but it'd be like that sometimes. So don't look at me like that, Dana. <laughs> I would like to throw in really quickly that I have known Jesus since high school and I would have never known. I feel like you could tell with me because I literally was so busy in high school on purpose and was like running around all the time. But Jesus was always super chill and super happy and friends with everybody. You literally would not be able to tell. But hindsight, 2020, uh, speak up or I know where you work and I will come find you. Yeah, I'd like to lead my statement with Jesus. Go see a fucking therapist, please. And thank you. Um, I understand that you may not have, you, you, you may, you know, have experience with mental illnesses. You've read the DSM-5. That's awesome. But, and I say this to everybody because I'm pursuing my master's in counseling. And if you ask your mom, I guarantee you, she's going to tell you the same thing. Go see a doctor because you cannot see yourself clearly. You cannot have an objective third-party opinion on yourself. No, I cannot. Even though I try to all the time. So Yeah, you can try as hard as you want, but you're living in this body. It's your brain that you're talking to when you're doing that assessment. So go see a fucking therapist, please, and thank you. That was just where I want to start with that. Um, Chanel, I am so sorry that happened to you. Because that was a, a deadly situation. You could have very, as you said, you could have very easily died in that situation. They threw seriously heavy medications at you with absolutely no instruction whatsoever. Um, and like we had said um, in our racism in medicine episode that we did a while ago, you know, these doctors, mental health professionals as well, are subject to the same biases that, you know, regular doctors have one in every four regular doctors now, as of this was a survey that I had looked up as of 2018, um, but one in four doctors, Caucasian doctors, believe that black people and people of color don't feel pain or don't feel things the same way that white people do. When you were saying that doctors see that 
we and we feel pain in different ways we react to things in different ways from white people you know i will say that in in a way it is correct we don't i'm not talking about in terms of pain um i am talking about as what we were talking about before how we react to things um how we interpret trauma and develop our trauma that's what i'm speaking in um um reference to but i think it's important to note that treatment is okay within reason the stuff that uh chanel you went through was extremely excessive but treatment is okay within reason i feel like sometimes we as people of color though um and we as black people we receive a diagnosis and a treatment and sometimes see that as an exaggeration like it too much has been done now i have seen um for example i saw a TikTok the other day where the guy went to therapy and the therapist was like oh you know everything here is confidential um and we can talk it out and it'll all be good and he ended up um being checked into a mental ward and at that point he was like well, uh, they said I could trust them and now I'm being checked in. And I'm saying that's, that, that's, that's, that's the, the, there's a reason that you're being checked in for that point. Um, and so while it might not be the result that we want, the reality is it's not going to be the result that we want because it's a treatment. Most of us would rather just not have to deal with it or would rather just move forward. Chanel, I was going to say, um, I am also appalled. What you described truly sounded like attempted murder. And it also contributes as to why Black women are so terrified to actually go and seek the help that they need, not just from regular doctors, but as well as mental health professionals. Um, but I also can say to what you've said, I think that a lot of doctors also try to falsely diagnose people for it, the purpose of trying to get them out of the room as quickly as possible. Um, and rather than discovering the issue, they just give you a blanket statement idea of what they think might be going on and then toss you out of the room, pop you up on medications and you keep it moving. Um, which is truly sad and it just causes distrust. Jesus, to your point, um, I definitely understand where you're coming from, where you say that Black men are expected to be the providers and can't really show emotion. But I'm also going to take it a step further and say that that is also something that Black women experience. Because while you are taught not to show your emotion as much, we are taught the very same thing because our emotions are are interpreted as anger, um, intimidation, and so on and so forth. So we are forced to keep our original emotions about whatever we're going through inside. Um, and so it, it causes a lot of that mental turmoil as well. And so we constantly go throughout days on both sides, men and women, Black men and women in, in POC, men and women, um, all far and few in between as well, um, keep things hidden inside of us so that way we don't intimidate and make people feel uncomfortable. Um, Dana, to your point, See, it's very easy to underestimate our pain if you don't believe that we feel pain the same way. And it's very easy to overestimate our reactions if you think that we don't feel pain the same way. So we have a tendency to be, as you said, Chanel, overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed. So we're either, our pain is either completely ignored or, you know, underestimated or, you know, overlooked, or it is crazy overdiagnosed in the sense that we get thrown into psychiatric care for things that could probably be taken care of with a couple days of pretty decent therapy. Um, or we get heavy, heavy medications, opioids, narcotics and shit thrown at us for situations that could probably be taken care of with the proper counseling. But rather than actually invest the care and the effort into the counseling that we also desperately need, they'd rather just throw us throw medication at us because it's too difficult to understand 
what's wrong with us because there is so much generational trauma and generational um, habits and behaviors that have built up over um, the last couple hundred years that as a Caucasian therapist or a Caucasian counselor, it would probably be a bit overwhelming to try to dig into what's really wrong with any black person in America, point blank, period. I was going to react to what Shelby had said earlier about um, black women being taught not to show emotion. I think the most irritating thing for me is that as women, naturally, we are taught to show emotion. But it's not necessarily that we as Black women are taught not to show emotion. We are forced into not showing emotion. And what I mean by that is while showing emotion as a woman is encouraged for us, when we do show emotion, the, we are only allowed to show positive emotions. And whenever those positive emotions, or whenever those emotions are negative, the reaction of people around us makes us feel uncomfortable. And so it's almost like it's a self-taught behavior. Um, well, it, it is a self-taught behavior based on the reaction of what everybody else is saying that we have to put and hide our emotions away. And so every day we consistently bottle up the anger, the frustration that we might be experiencing um, in the effort to make everybody else feel uncomfortable. After surgery, I woke up and the first thing my surgeon said to me was like, you were supposed to have surgery two or three years ago. What happened? And I had nothing because since my, my doctor told me that my pain was, you know, just something I had to deal with, I stopped questioning it. And I didn't realize how much pain I was in until I went to the ER and they were like, your blood pressure is 140 right now, which is twice what my, my uh, heart rate normally is. Um, and they're like, yeah, I think that you hurt. And I said, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Um, like it's uncomfortable, but I've been dealing with it for two, two and a half years and now I'm used to it. So it might hurt and it might just be a normal annoyance to me. Um, which leads me to healthcare should be free for all black people, period, poo, period. That is part of reparations. Healthcare should be free to black people, period. If you gotta be black and live in America, or be tied to America, your healthcare should be free. Um, and trigger warning, because this example that Chanel made me think of, which um, me and Chanel have been friends for years, and the shit pisses me off. Like, it gets me re-upset, and they already know I'm a little bit violent, but just a little bit violent. And it's only when it comes to bullying or victimization type shit. I don't like it. Um, and so in college, anybody can look up this article in this story. This is why Jesus says that people are justified, Black people specifically, are justified in their fear of the, the, the health system in general, period, um, and most American systems. Because these medications are not what a lot of people think they are. A lot of them are dangerous. Um, and so you can look on Mother, Mother Jones for an antipsychotic uh, trial that was done that didn't get shut down. It was allowed to go through and the medication was you know, approved and put on the market to be sold. And I wanna say that it was Zoloft maybe. Um, if Zoloft is an antipsychotic, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I think that that's what it was. And this university essentially tricked people and trapped people into this study that did not belong into it. And this particular person, the part of the study was that people had to have had their first psychotic episode, but not be in the middle of one. And because this college was about to get kicked out for not having enough people, they started pulling from students 
and telling their parents while they were actually in the middle of psychotic episodes like hey they can't consent for themselves you can just you know give power of attorney to us we'll take care of your child and they were signing them up for the study and long story short it resulted in people's deaths because the medication was making their psychotic episodes worse um and you can't even call it suicide because it's not their fault and it's about a hundred percent chance that these people didn't know what the fuck they were doing when this stuff happened but that's the kind of things that get pushed out into the market and are just thrown at people to take as soon as they say they're not feeling well and mental disorders is not feeling well it's just like it's a sickness like any other and that's how they treat it which is crazy so yes get get help but use your best judgment you should keep in mind that on the same side i know i said earlier that not every doctor every white doctor is just a bad doctor to people of color um they're not doing it out of menace on the same on the other side of the same coin you also have to remember that doctors are not necessarily doing things altruistically. There are some people who became doctors for the money, for the power. And if you weren't there for, I forgot which episode it was, that one of the occupations that people that are um, not correct anymore, I don't think, sociopathic, um, I think it's psychopathic now, it's psychopathic with psychopathic tendencies, antisocial tendencies, and people that thrive off of power is the medical profession. Um, and on top of that, some people, people are imperfect. Okay. So bad people become doctors. Okay. Some people are just smart enough to do the shit. And I say that y'all about to get all my business today because that same doctor that refused to, to acknowledge my pain and to be real thought that I just wanted narcotics, um, despite me specifically saying that I did not want them, um, is that birth control is dangerous. And I took it because ignorantly at the beginning of my PCOS diagnosis, doctors said that birth control help control your hormones for PCOS. Come to find out, all it does is hide symptoms of things that you actually need to be addressing with all the side effects um, as, as a risk. And I got so sick that I ended up in the ER because, Jesus, I'm sorry, I couldn't walk anywhere without bleeding. Um, and if you are uh, someone who has had a period, it wasn't like a heavy day. It was like a like to the point where I was anemic and had to go to the doctor and they gave me a diaper. And that was from birth control. And so I was like, okay, the doctor was like, you need to try something different because there's literally like, there's hundreds of different birth control combinations. You just need to keep going until you find one that works for you, which there's hundreds of birth control combinations. And if it takes you hundreds of birth control medications to find one that works for you, that, that's a lot of risk because the second one I took gave me migraines so bad that I couldn't get up and go do anything. At which point I said, no. And that same doctor that wanted to give me narcotics instead of figuring out what the fuck was wrong with me also kept trying to give me birth control after I self-regulated my periods and got all of my hormones where they needed to be naturally. And she wasn't doing it because she was concerned. She was doing it because she wanted the money from that sale. It's a transaction. Which slides us into the topic of the system that got all of us fucked up. Proceed, Jesus. Okay, so to go with your story, with your experience, Shelby, that what you received there was not healthcare, that was sick care. Trying, they were trying to treat symptoms and not treat the actual disease, the underlying disease itself. That's number one. You weren't dealing with an actual healthcare professional, in my opinion. Um, secondly, with that, this then brings us to, again, as you said, the issue of the system and the issue, the real question of should medicine as a, as a field be a for-profit industry, which 
I don't, I all, and I'm pretty sure all of you also agree, think that it should not be a for-profit industry because other, you have plenty of horror stories from various ERs across the country or various uh, health offices across the country of people who either don't have insurance or don't have any way to pay for any kind of treatment. And they definitely, you know, just say, oh, well, you can't be here anymore because you can't pay for this treatment. Uh, I'm sure plenty of different medical shows will even play on that trope for like an episode or two in terms of like how that correlates in terms of the hospitals need to run like a business and the hospital's desire to help people. So they kind of just like fights with each other all the time. So to that point, um, an interesting and I feel like not very well known fact is that a large portion of the healthcare system, whether it's, you know, physical or mental health is not regulated. Um, People can get away with a lot. And that includes the cost. Ooh, this is what I wanted to say about the system to get us into how it got us fucked up. Okay. It's going to be good. Um, Is that nobody regulates a lot of the medical system, which is how you get fuckery, like the cost of insulin getting as high as it was and is currently because nobody controls the price of when you walk into a hospital when you walk into a medical facility what they're allowed to charge you and how much they're allowed to charge you for it there's no rule on what they're allowed to charge you so i mean so essentially people can you can go to the hospital with the flu and walk out with a lifetime of debt. Um, And on top of the fact that, and that was a very exaggerated statement, no need to attack it, thank you. Um, But on top of that, (laughs) I think it's important to note that it's it's fucking expensive to get health, mental health care. And that comes from somebody um, with a good job, a stable salary job, where I know how much I'm gonna make Every time I get paid, it's guaranteed. I have benefits that are are qualifiably okay and include mental health. But again, it's expensive. And without the current CARES Act that's in place that covers a lot of people um, because of agreements made between certain insurance companies, I would I would be able to afford um, my therapy sessions, but I wouldn't be able to afford any fucking thing else on top of what I already have to pay on a monthly, um, I would be able to do nothing. And when you consider the amount of our population that lies below the poverty line, and even those that don't, whether or not we actually acknowledge that we have mental illness the availability and the ability to pay for it, whether you find somebody who's going to relate to you culturally or not, it's almost fucking impossible. It's impossible. I've had family who has not, who took into their 40s knowing that there was something wrong with them and have gone in and out of the prison system because of those same mental illnesses and whose lives have been set back because their mental illnesses were never addressed until, like somebody said earlier, shit got really, really real. And it's because they can't afford it. Go ahead. That was my intro. Okay. This is a nice segue to my next point. Next point is going to be basically the system got us fucked up. As we all know, how do we fix this? Stop voting lesser of two evils. Because if we continue on the path that we go on, we're going to get the same revolving door of politicians and lobbyists that are going to put legislation into play that will completely not do what we need them to do in terms of fixing the problems that are at hand. A lot of the times, the reason why there's no regulation and in a lot of these fields, like I work in the settlement industry, there's no regulation there. There's barely any. Uh, there's no, as Selby said, there's no regulation in, in the uh, healthcare industry. Is because 
half the people who donate all the money to all these goddamn politicians basically say, hey, you can take all this money from our from our sponsors or what have you. You just can't legislate that there be any kind of oversight for what we do in this industry. It's shady shit. So stop voting lesser of two evils. Vote based on issues. And I'm going to drop my soapbox there. And Shelby, in you doubting your own pain and you and you uh, your doctors convincing you that your pain was something else for two some odd years. This ties back to that. I promise there's a point. Oh, and before you go, the irony is that two weeks after I had surgery, my 80 year old grandmother had the same surgery and you would not believe what happened to her. My grandma, who has heart conditions, had been telling her doctor for 10 years that she had pain. And they told her that her pain was her heart pain, her chest pain from her heart on the other side of her body radiating over to the other side. Mind you, your heart is approximately here. Your gallbladder is under your chest, under your rib cage. Mm-hmm on the other side of your body. And they told my grandmother that her pain was chest pain for 10 years. And hers was also gangrenous by the time they took it out. Oh my God. First of all, even if it is chest pain, why is that not something you resolve? Exactly. Like chronic. And that I'm gonna talk for 10 years. Why is that not a problem? Why do you think that's okay? If you've never had any type of gallbladder issue, the way that mine felt, I literally, I couldn't walk unless I had Vicodin in my system. And even then it hurt. I could just breathe enough to stand up. And I messed around and forgot to take medication when I was able to and had to crawl down the stairs because I couldn't call for help. And I left my medication downstairs and went to go lay down in my room. Oh my gosh. Like, so that's the kind of pain that I walked around with three years for and the kind of pain that she walked around with for 10 years. So, so as I, far as downplaying our own pain um, and, and, and not, you know, and downplaying our own emotions in general, it's kind of along the same lines. Um, and Sydney, to your point as to whether or not that's a self-taught uh, behavior. I think it's a societally taught behavior. So it's a social behavior, something that you learn adapting to downplay your own emotions. It's something that you learn, not necessarily teach yourself, but you learn with the reactions of others. Um, because any, any sort of vehement reaction that we have gets interpreted as a violent or as an angry reaction. Um, and we really only get painted with one brush as far as when our emotions reach the negative end of the spectrum. And as far as Shelby, to your point about downplaying your own health, I feel like those are along the same lines. Um, because we as people of color have a tendency, like I said before, not to engage with our mental health until it's at a breaking point. We have a tendency to trivialize our own pain, um, to trivialize, and that's meant whether that's physical or mental. We have a point to trivialize or a habit of trivializing our own pain because we get these results that we've previously discussed from doctors where the pain either gets ignored or the pain gets overmedicated or the pain gets misdiagnosed or, and this is, again, this pain is physical or mental. Um, but we need to stop doing that. We need to stop allowing ourselves to disbelieve ourselves. It's very easy when people are in like lab coats and suits and stuff and they're telling you that what you don't think, you don't think what you think you think, stop letting them tell us that. Just because they're wearing a lab coat does not mean that they know your body any better than you do. If shit hurts, it fucking hurts and tell them that it hurts. And don't let them convince you that it doesn't hurt because their degrees on the wall say that it doesn't hurt. Particularly as people of color, we cannot allow medical professionals to talk us out of our own pain because in certain situations, it really is life and death with physical illnesses as well as with mental illnesses. It really is and can be life and death situations. So when we downplay our own mental health, we have to understand that we're giving others permission to do the exact same thing. If we don't decide to get help until it's a vehement, violent reaction, then we, we can't blame them for overreacting to that because they're already reacting with the biases that they've had already. 
And we're just adding to that if we wait till we break to get help. So Jesus, go see a fucking therapist. Going off of your point, then we'll talk about that. Hot take, hot take. My brother had this hot take back when I had a somewhat breakdown back in the day. He said to me this thing, he and I don't know, Shelby, I don't know if you, I don't remember if you've even met my brother and stuff, but he's like a year younger than me. He went to Salem. I, you might not, but regardless, um, the, the thing that he brought up to me that it, it made everything so crystal, crystal clear. He said this, and I quote this, human beings are five pound bags and you can't fit 10 pounds of shit into a five pound bag. Eventually, you will just take those 10 pounds and you will blow up and do something that you don't mean on someone that doesn't deserve it, right? So I say that because a lot of times, and this is another hot take, we as people of color, we as Black people in particular, we always have to think about everyone else's reactions to our our emotions in general. I'm sure you all are very familiar with code switching. It's a very, it's something that we're taught from like what, five, six years old or what have you. We always, we we all had that talk. Being white people, that's when you get taught code switching. Was that now? I said, whenever you first start interacting with white people, that's when you get taught code switching. Pretty much, basically. Or when you have to go to, when you have to walk from your home, like a mile to your house, and you have to be like, hey, if you get stopped by the cops, don't run away and don't yell at them or anything. Don't put your hands in your pockets. Speak in stir sandwiches. Don't die. At 11 years old, you know, that's great. But I think this, and this this ties into my hot take, is that if you're, if you're busy code switching 24-7, you essentially have a steady stream of things going into that bag, going into that bucket. And if you don't find an outlet or you, you don't find something with the right help, the right medication or the right um, uh, just help in general, you eventually will have that outburst moment that happens. So we as a people need to take that upon ourselves to stop being so hard-headed I'm also talking to myself, if you can't tell, stop being so hard-headed and just go and fix the problem. If you don't fix the problem, you can't really complain about it when it becomes an even bigger problem because you knew it was going to be a problem, but you let yourself get this far. Okay, so um, after all those things, will she get back on track? Maybe. Um, So... I just wanted to mention real quick, besides the judicial thing, which I feel like we're going to talk, we're going to get into the judicial system. We already kind of discussed that um, separately, but I feel like we get ostracized further. Like we are, if you already have a mental illness, being black does you zero favors. Um, because it's not meant to it's not meant to do you any favors and shit y'all no i did lose it uh somebody else go come back to me my bad we did a lot of talking in between now girl to your point um being you're right being black doesn't do you any favors in that as we discussed um there is a tendency towards overreaction to mental illness in um, people of color versus their white counterparts. And we see this in action a lot when we see um, people who are mentally ill and most likely unmedicated interactions with police. Um, When you see like public disturbances by people who are very clearly mentally ill, but that mental illness, that reaction that they're having to you know, the chaos of what is being stopped by the police, the reaction that they have being interpreted as violence rather as rather than as being the results of a mental illness that they may possess, or it's not even considered that the person's mental illness could be affecting the way that they're acting rather than it being considered an act of violence um, towards the, the, towards, you know, whatever first responder is usually the police in which these reactions get violent. Right. Okay. So on the note of the system, I I wanted to, and I've been trying this whole time to think about, which is why I got off track, think about how to say this concisely is that um, 
when not talking about anxiety, um, not talking about mood disorders necessarily, but with the exception of maybe bipolar, um, that a lot of disorders, ones that more affect your psychosis um, or your uh, touch with reality. So like the schizophrenias and things like that, or even mood disorders, people with multiple um, moods. You can help me with that because I know there's a word for it and I'm blanking on it. Um, is that they're not protected and it's almost like it's purposeful um, to allow people to legally manipulate other people. And yes, the thing that brought this to mind was everybody's favorite white pop star, Britney Spears and their situation. And everything that's happening to Britney Spears is legal and people are upset. And a lot of people would not be this upset if it wasn't Britney Spears. They would be sad. They would feel terrible for that person. But in a lot of our minds, excuse me, sorry, my foot is falling asleep. In a lot of our minds, I think people, um, sadly, even people who have their own personal experience with a mental illness, they make it less than what it is in their mind and say, well, yeah, this is terrible, um, but what if it actually is needed? What would happen if they weren't doing this? Maybe it's justified. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And even if it's bad, it can't be that bad. But people pay attention because this is, you know, America's favorite white pop star but it happens to regular people every day with nobody watching, which is scary. And it makes people, especially black people, scared to tell anybody anything because we run off of survival. And the number one thing to survival is to not make yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. and to not do it voluntarily which is why earlier I was jokingly saying like, there's some shit that people didn't know because I'm not stupid. Like you're not about to wrap me up in a fucking system and trap me. I think the fuck not. Like in my mind, essentially that equates to, I would rather die. That's what that equates to. I would rather die and take my chances with my own mind that I currently have no control over than to hand myself over to you. Jesus, did you have your hands up first? I thought I saw you put it down and then pick two back up. Okay. Um, to your point, Shelby, two sides of that coin though. So yeah, you're absolutely right in that you should use your best judgment with your therapist, your medical healthcare professional, whether that's a psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, whomever the fuck you're talking to. Um, you should be careful in that there are some things that you can say or that you can do that will elicit care being needed in the form of psychiatric care. You can be thrown in a ward if you present a threat, an obvious threat to yourself or to others, you can be put in care. Um, So obviously use your best judgment, but also if you are legitimately having those thoughts, I do want you to tell your medical health, your mental health care professional, because those are not normal thoughts. So we want to make sure if you're like, oh, I'm thinking about, I don't know, shooting up a post office. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Having that fucking thought. Call somebody. Take the chance. Yeah, no, tell them that. I understand that, like, a lot of the time we don't want that kind of care that, like, being being, being thrown into psychiatric care. We don't want that. But sometimes, and as you said, Shelby, not every therapist, Caucasian therapist has the worst intentions. It's usually not done with malice. Sometimes um, we might need that care, whether we're ready to face up to that we need it or not. So if you are going to your therapist, telling your therapist that you're getting ready to hurt yourself and they give you psychiatric care, 
they're doing that. They are doing that because they think that that's going to help you. We don't want to shy away from telling our therapists anything because we don't want to get thrown into the psych ward. If we're legitimately having those thoughts, we do want to make sure that we're talking to our therapists about the crazy shit. That's what they're there for, to determine if you need the kind of help that will require care or not. And sometimes we do. Oh, absolutely. If nothing else, sorry for um, cutting you off. No, please, I'm done. Um, That if not anything else, because you also have to (laughs) take my advice and what I say with a grain of salt, because I'm aware that I'm speaking through a lens of somebody who has um, major depressive disorder, maybe bipolar, but definitely um, a very chronic case of generalized anxiety that I know that I speak through a lens of somebody with what a mental disorder which a lot of us have um so you should probably listen but if you are having thoughts go talk to somebody it doesn't mean that you have to announce it to the world um because like I said it was very hard for people like it became noticeable because it got so bad with me to the point where people higher up in my company were like are you sick like physically sick because it was showing and I literally couldn't hide it um but just because people can't tell if you feel it it needs to be addressed before it gets bad the sooner the better in any illness any case of illness um and I don't know if anybody else had something to say I'm not going to say that I agree with you Uh in that in that particular aspect do i believe that we have to um reevaluate our classic two-party system yes i do do i believe that the lesser of two evil evils in this particular time is a worthless argument no i do not as well so i would definitely like to see that as an episode to Shelby's point and to a lesser, uh, uh, also equivalent extent, Dana's point, 100% yes. If you are having those kinds of thoughts, you should 100% go seek help for those kinds of thoughts. They're not normal. Um, and a note, um, bad memory. And the reason why the majority of us need notebooks while we're on this podcast is because bad memory is a symptom of what? Anxiety and depression. Why are you reading people like this? That's why I t- that's why I take pre-workout. That's why I take things that have like 400, 500 milligrams of caffeine. Chill out. Because full disclosure, before we started this podcast, I was having a panic attack, um, which I am and told Dana in Sydney. And I was like over here full blown. Like all day I've been clenching my teeth and have been like unfocused. I've really been unfocused for like weeks. But today... I was like doing stuff after work and I was like, why is my heart racing? And I was like, oh, I had a cup of coffee earlier. Maybe it's just now kicking in. And then I came upstairs and listen, y'all, I just took a shower, okay? So I was like all fresh and clean and I went downstairs and came back upstairs and was like pouring in sweat after I'd been sitting still for a while. And I was like, what, why am I like this right now? Panic attack. I was having a panic attack. And like, I was sitting over here looking down earlier because I was trying to breathe and I was like, fuck it. I can't breathe. And I had to take medication. Um, Uh, Shelby, why are you here today? Because I'm good. I took because I took the medication. I'm fine. Telling us that you are not okay. I was not okay. I am currently fine. You see this? This is why you have to watch what you say around Dana. Shelby, 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 you are okay. You're good. Don't listen to Jesus. He hasn't seen a fucking therapist. Thank you, my friend Jesus. He has to say he is my Lord and Savior. (laughs) Shelby, you're not okay. Okay. Ma'am, I am not a deity. Chill out. So, um, yeah. To that point before Dana started uh, attacking me and while I was reading the room. I said what I said. You and I said, okay. I'm fine. I'm good now. <laughs> I was not, but now I am. That's how time works. Um, however, I wanted to end this by saying that was the point that I speak and live with those lenses. So um, 
you should always consider the biases of the people who are speaking to you and that you are going to for information always, including me, because I ain't perfect. Um, but on a lighter note, because we always like to leave y'all with something to be better or do better, I did want to share an experience and uh, you know offer it up to the good people to try out, which is nighttime meditation. Um, and the person that I actually learned about this from is going to be uh, unusual, I think, for some people. It was RuPaul, who is a devout Buddhist and very wise um, and popped up on an NPR episode about meditation. And the reason I say this, especially if you have depression or anxiety, is because one of my issues is sleeping and staying asleep. And I'm talking about to the point where I will have a panic attack on my way to sleep and have at least six nightmares and wake up and not be able to go back to sleep because I start having another panic attack. Um, I'm a lot better these days, but um, to meditate is not just to sit in silence, but to address the thoughts that come to you when there is nothing to distract you. Um, and so one of my problems is that my mind likes to pull up every little thought that I've had during the day, the week, the month, the year, my life while I'm trying to go to sleep, which normally turns into a panic attack. But if you sit and you purposely address those things that your mind didn't have the time to before, you're unpacking things consciously. And it really does help you sleep better. So today, everyone, the cage bird saying about mental health and the victimization of people of color with mental health disorders. So also, keep an ear and eye out for our community project, The Ujama List, our endeavor in collective economics. Be sure to keep an ear out for our new website and merchandise coming very soon. We will make sure to keep you all updated. Want us to address something you haven't heard on the podcast yet? Slide into our DMs on Instagram at the Cagebird Pod. And that is a wrap on this episode of the Cagebird Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Links to everything we've discussed in this episode are in the show notes. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Cagebird Pod. Subscribe to our Patreon and listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can expect our podcast to be released weekly for your enjoyment. Bye!